Hi, everybody. My name's Polly, and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and by God's grace, in a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, I haven't had a drink since April the 11th of 1977. For that, I am eternally grateful. I have a home group, and that's the West Connect group in Jacksonville, Florida. I have a sponsor, and my sponsor has a sponsor. And uh, I am an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I, am, I love my life. I love the life that Alcoholics Anonymous has given me. And because of that, I am busier in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous than I have ever been. I sponsor more women than I've ever sponsored, and I'm into more service than I've ever been into. And that's a really selfish reason for that, because I love my life. And I know if I keep doing what I'm doing, I get to keep having the life I have today. And I just love being sober. And this is a fabulous group. I, I'm, I'm very blessed. I get to go to a lot of meetings. And I get to go to a lot of groups. And I'm around a lot of people in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm one of these people that I walk in the room and I just kind of take the temperature. I can just kind of feel it. I can just kind of feel where the energy is. And uh, one of the things that I know is that I'm one of these people that I cannot feel well. I can be having a really hard day. I may be really exhausted. But I can walk through that door. And when I walk into a room of Alcoholics Anonymous, just something happens to me. It just happens. All of a sudden, I'm energized. I feel good. And that's what AA does for me. And the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the family afterwards, I say all the good stuff's in the family afterwards. And one of the things it says is, is that we absolute insist on being happy. And I can tell you right now, if you're new in Alcoholics Anonymous, if it weren't fun, I couldn't have stayed. So it's fun. It's, we have a lot of fun here. And you just come on and you hang out with us and, you know, you can talk about being how sick and how messed up we are. And everybody's just sitting there saying, yeah, we know, we know. And some poor newcomer's going to come in the room and say, oh, I'm just crazy. I know I'm losing my mind. I'm crazy. And we say, we know, we know, we know. <laughs> so it's just like that's the whole thing. That's, we, we relate. And we were just, I was kind of talking about, I have a deaf grandson. And uh, he right now, he's in Puerto Rico, spring break, and he's there with a few other deaf, uh, with a few other deaf guys. And I said, well, how do you get along when you go in, well, he went to Europe over the summer with two other deaf guys. And I said, how do you get along? And he says, oh, we just seem to find our people. And we just, and I said, I understand that. No matter where we go, we find our people. And I'm just one of those people that I'm so comfortable in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I wish, I'm, here I am, 35 years sober. I wish I were as comfortable in those other, with those other people, but I'm just not. But when I come in here, I'm just total comfort. Um, I'm here to celebrate Robin's 20 years. And uh, I've had the problem of uh, the privilege, the problem, the privilege. <laughs> Sorry, Robin. <laughs> Not that. I didn't mean that. <laughs> the privilege of sponsoring Robin for a few years. And it is a privilege. And I, I just, we, she came to visit me. We got to hang out and really get to, you know, get comfortable and get to know each other. And I know how much she loves AA. And I know how much hard work you do and uh, 
today, tonight, she says, well, I'll have a subject for you to talk about. And I said, okay. So before we got up here, I said, did you ever think of a subject that you want me to talk about? And she said, yeah, 20 is not enough. And uh, that's it. 20 is not enough. And in my, you know, I could just tell you because I got a few years on it. You get, you got a good start going. You got a good start going at 20. And what I know is, is that you're in the book and you do the things that we're asked to do here in Alcoholics Anonymous. So thank you for allowing me to be here in this meeting with you and all these people. I thank you so much for inviting me. I appreciate that. Um, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says that we should share in a general way what it used to be like, what happened, and what I'm trying to be like today. And I'm going to do that to the very best of my ability. Uh, one of the things that I know is that when I think that's a good subject, 20 is not enough. I look at my sobriety today, and I don't know about anybody else who has, you know, a little time in the program, but sometimes, I don't know, Dick, do you just look and say, God, I ought to be better than this at this, you know, I've been sober a long time, I ought to be better than this. And that, I feel that a lot because I'm still, I still have those character defects and I truly believe that those character defects are what separate me from God because those are the things that keep me in distance from God. And what happens is, is I find myself, I can get, you know, we had a business meeting at our home group the other night and I'm telling you, I just, I just lost it. I mean, I just, I said, why does this meeting go berserk over a, over a business meeting? And, you know, everybody, well, we're not going berserk. And, I mean, before, I mean, if a newcomer had seen that going on, they would have said, this is not for me. If this what is this is what they do in AA, this is not for me. So I can let you guys know that I had a whole list of amends that I had to make. I didn't make it up. I didn't get there till Tuesday. I kept laying down at night. And it's, you know, the first question. The very first question when we retire at night is, do we owe an amends? And uh, I owed an amends because I believe that somebody with 35 years of sobriety ought to be acting better than that. And, uh, and I was not. I was not acting... I was not acting as good as I could act, and I knew that. And the reason was mainly, guess why? I wasn't getting what I wanted. You know, I mean, uh, what do you mean that we're going to do this, this, and this? You know, it's just I'm one of these people that likes a lot of structure, and you know, I think we ought to, you know, do things. Well, you know, everybody doesn't like that, and I'm the new, and I'm the new kid in town, and you know, those people have been doing just fine before I ever got there. And they'll do just fine, you know, right on, whether, you know, whatever. So I have to learn, you know, we, you know, so if you think you get a lot of time in here and then all of a sudden you get well, think again because uh, it doesn't happen that way. But anyway, I'm glad that I, and I keep reminding myself that I'm a real alcoholic. I get, I get to see that uh, often enough. And I get to see that I'm a real alcoholic, and I'm definitely far from well, so I better pick up my book and keep working the steps because uh, I see a lot of people go out with a lot of time, and uh, I just don't want to be one of those people. So I know if I keep doing what I'm doing, then I'll keep getting what I'm getting. Um, <clears throat> I'd like for you to know that I am living, breathing proof that you can be a real alcoholic as described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I am a real alcoholic, but I do not come from the disease of alcoholism. 
And uh, I've heard in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous shake an alcoholic's family tree and an alcoholic will fall out. Now, that might be the case. If it is, I would say it would be my mother's father because he was the only one in our family who drank. I have some theories, though. One of the things is, is that I was raised Southern Baptist. Now, when I come to Georgia or Florida or anywhere in the South, I don't have to explain that because they know exactly what that is. And uh, I was raised Southern Baptist, and I was raised by parents that took me to church and to Sunday school and to Wednesday night prayer meeting and all the things that we went to. And I will tell you that one of the things that they were talking about is thou shalt not drink. So I knew about God. And I am so grateful for, the, for our chapter to the, to the agnostics because what happens is that chapter made God approachable to me. Because I am one of these people that was raised and what I heard in that church was that, you know, you're gonna, you were born a sinner, you're going to burn in hell, and, you know, it was hopeless to me. And when I got, came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I knew that I had been, I had abused my children, I had drank, I had done all the things that I had done, and here, I, you know, and God had told me not to drink, and I had no hope. I had absolutely no hope because to me, I knew that I was already going to burn in hell. And what happened is, is I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and you gave me this magnificent God who is just so awesome and who loves me so much. And the other thing I was going to say, besides not coming from an alcoholic family, is that my parents love me and I'm an only child. And what I've learned in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous is that I believe God knows every hair on my head and he loves me so much. He loves me as if I were his only child. And that I am given everything. The book talks about in one of our, in one of our uh, stories that God gives us the keys to the kingdom. And I have been given the keys to the kingdom. God has absolutely given it all to me. And I came here and what happened for me is the theory I was going to talk about is, is that I believe that alcoholism has an, a, a genetic component. And the reason I believe that is, is because I produce alcoholics. So I believe that there is, you know, I believe there's a genetic component. I believe that had my dad taken a drink of alcohol, he would have been an alcoholic. But my dad died at 60 years old, and he died with 60 years of sobriety. My mother died at 87, and she died with 87 years of sobriety. Both of my parents had, did not, were not the least bit impressed with my sobriety. What they believed is if you just hadn't drank, you would have never had all these problems. And, but my dad was restless, irritable, and discontent. And I really believe, and he was full of rage. And I would become, I would become uh, a person who had that same rage as he had, that absolutely uncontrollable blind rage that happens to so many of us in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I am one of those people. But my dad did not drink. I will never be able to you know, be able to prove that because he's dead. But that's my theory. Uh, today I know what's wrong with me, and the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous tells me I am suffering from a spiritual malady. And the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous tells me that if I am suffering from a spiritual malady, nothing is enough. You cannot love me enough, you cannot give me enough, you cannot do enough. There simply is not enough for a person like me. 
I can't get it's I can't get that whatever that hole is. I can't get it filled. I can't it just it I just can't get enough whatever it is. And today I know that when that's happening, and thank God I have the privilege of working with other women. And when I can, you know, when nothing's enough, I already, you know, what is, what's going on? Alcoholism. That's what's going on. And what happens for me is, is I get to, I get to work with other women so I can ta- see how, just be able to talk about my program. And one of the things that happens, because when you speak sometimes, people will come up to you and say, Oh, I'd like to go through the steps with you. And I'd say, you don't need to go through the steps with me. You need to take somebody else through the steps. That's what it's all about. And the other thing is, is I hear things in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous like, come on in here and let us love you till you can love yourself. Well, what I'd like to give you a different little twist on that. And that is, come in here and let us love you till you can love somebody else. Because that's what it's all about. It's all about reaching out and helping another person. The miracle of, Al- of Alcoholics Anonymous is one alcoholic working with another alcoholic. At the ripe old age of 18 years old, I married an Air Force officer. And I just knew I'd found my knight in shining armor and we were going to sail off into the sunset and live happily ever after. I had no idea what I had gotten myself into. Absolutely none. I am uh, I'm just a little hick from Texas. And... Uh, I'm one of these people that also does not have a college education, and I've always wanted those letters after my name. The only thing is, I've just never wanted to go to school. And, I mean, I'm one of these people, true alcoholic fashion, I want the title, I don't want to do the work. And, I've, you know, this is what happens when we work the steps. We get introduced to ourselves, and we may be shocked at who we see as looking, you know, out of the mirror toward us because what happened is is I, I saw myself so differently than I really was. I just thought I was so nice and I got to see the real person. Well, what happened for me is I, uh, when I was uh, married just a few weeks, I got an invitation in the mail and it had a big red mandatory stamped on it and it was an invitation from the base, the base commander's wife and I was invited to a coffee. And uh, I, was, I am one of these kids that has never liked to stand up in front of people and talk. I mean, I have learned to do this in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I am the kid that goes to school that has to give a book report or any of that, and I am sick. I'm talking really sick. I can't. I just can't do it. I can't stand up in front of people and talk because it makes me scared. And... Uh, and here I was going to this coffee, and all these women were there. And I knew that these women were sophisticated, and they were educated. And, and I was just overwhelmed with feelings of inadequacy. And that was a feeling that I carried all the time. It was just never feeling like I was enough, never measuring up. Now, I had no reason to feel that way. My parents loved me. In fact, there's a book out called How It Worked. And it's about Clarence Snyder's life. And in that book, the author starts off and he says there seems to be two things that cause alcoholism. Either being loved too much or not enough. (laughs) So I don't know if any of that has anything to do with it. I think that would do a lot to create, you know, if there's a lot of abuse and stuff, because I'm going to talk about that, that if that's the case, 
that that will have a lot to do with how it, it affects us as people. I don't think it has a thing to do with alcoholism because what happened is, is I was very loved. My, my parents sacrificed for me. They gave me dancing lessons and gymnastic lessons. And the other thing was, is I was a latchkey kid. I'm 72 years old. Women, when, when in my day and time, when I was a little girl, moms didn't work. Nobody's mother worked. But my mother was a nurse and she worked. So I was a latchkey kid before it was popular. So I was different because my mother was the only mother that worked. And you know, on and on, we can find something to make, you know, to make me set apart. My case is different, as Clancy would say. To make me somehow feel like my case is different and that they're, you know, I'm worse off than you are. And make myself be able to get into that place of self-pity and a victim that used to be so comfortable before I got here. And uh, what happened was that that day that lady began to tell us what we were going to do to enhance our husband's careers, how we were going to go to the right dinner parties, how we were going to have the right dinner parties, how we would dress appropriately, all the things that we were going to do in order to be an Air Force officer's wife. And I'm telling you, I was terrified. What have I got myself into? You know, I don't, I'm a hick from Texas. I don't even know where the forks go. You know, none of this stuff made any sense to me. And, uh, and then we were expected, when there were functions, we were expected to attend them. The other thing is, is I loved the military. And I'm not sure, it, it, it felt almost to me like that I left the military in that kind of a lifestyle and came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because in the military, we were people who normally would not mix. And, but what happened is we helped each other and we helped each other. I mean, guys were gone and women helped each other have babies and all of the stuff we did. And we had that, we had that, that family, that, that, that fellowship. And, you know, it's the thing that the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous talks about is that fellowship that grows up around us. And it's, it's absolutely wonderful. And I knew about that kind of a fellowship. And I knew about people helping each other and taking, and taking care of kids and doing things for each other. I had lived that life. And I think that's what we do here. It's just absolutely wonderful, the magic of the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, but we, what happened was about two weeks later, there was an officer's wife's luncheon. And, uh, of course, we were expected to go to the luncheon. And I went to the luncheon, and uh, what was there that day was a fountain. You see these fountains with stuff coming out of the fountain? It was a very wussy drink. It was sherry. It wasn't even champagne. It was sherry. And it was coming out of this fountain, and all of these women were putting their glass up under the fountain, and I put my glass up under the fountain and I took a drink of alcohol. Now all of a sudden, I didn't have long red hair and looked like Rita Hayworth. But what happened was, is it felt like that day that for the first time in my 18 years, I could just breathe. It just seemed like I could breathe. I was just one of these people that's just always been so uptight. I love to hear Clancy talk about that spring that just tightens, you know, just so uptight and that I could take a drink of alcohol and it would just just kind of get all that 
uh, tightness and that nervousness and that anxiety, all of that stuff would just kind of wash away. And I seemed to be able to interact with these people and be able to be social with these people and be able to laugh in the right places and not in the right places. That's what alcohol did for me. And it did that not long, but for a while. It gave me that sense that we see in the doctor's opinion where Silkworth talks about that sense of ease and comfort. And that's what I felt when I took a drink of alcohol. Uh, what happened for me is I'm going to just uh, talk about alcoholism, the family disease. Because I believe that the disease of alcoholism is a family disease. And uh, that anybody who lives with a practicing alcoholic is affected by the disease of alcoholism. And my two sons were affected by the disease of alcoholism. And one of the things that I want to make clear is I loved my children. I absolutely loved my two sons. But my two sons absolutely, on the other hand, drove me crazy. I was just like abusive and mean and loving, like all at the same time. Because these kids, I just didn't know what to do with them. And I didn't have Parenting 101. And we were stationed in a place called Loring Air Force Base, Maine, right up at the tippy top of Maine. And it's 50 below zero, and I can't let these kids go out to play. And I'm having a nervous breakdown every 20 minutes. And I ended up going to an Air Force doctor, and he said, take these. And from 1962 until 1977, when I entered the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I took Librium and Valium and Secondol and Nimutol and drank alcohol. And if you take those kind of drugs and drink alcohol, I will assure you that you are not an active alcoholic. I was not an active alcoholic. I did my dying on my living room sofa. I just laid there and listened to soap operas and listened to Joan Baez sing the blues. And what happened was I was not functioning. And what I want to get to uh, is later on, by the time my sons were 10 and 12 years old, I got sober when my sons were 14 and 16. But by the time that had happened, and it had been a, a gradual progression, but what had happened is, is my husband was gone. This man was gone, and he was gone for years at a time. And these children were left in my care. I was responsible for these children. And I am so grateful that I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and I did not get watered down AA. My AA sponsor was not afraid of hurting my feelings. And what happened was my first AA sponsor was a man. And, uh, and it was, I, I think God is so awesome because I think we all get exactly what we need. My first AA sponsor had been an only child. He was a Monsignor priest and he was a captain in the Navy. And I tell you, I think it's so ironic, because if you guys don't know, the Catholics and the Baptists hate each other. <laughs> and so I can remember that preacher when John Kennedy was running for president, standing up there at that pulpit saying, you cannot vote for John Kennedy, he's a Catholic. The Pope will run the world, will run the United States. All of this stuff, I mean, all of this. It was just unbelievable. But here, and it, here he is, a Catholic. And he's a Catholic priest. And I think God gives us exactly what we need. And Frank was, he was honest with me. He told me the truth. And uh, I came out of treatment, and I had done a four-step in treatment. And it was one of those Hazleton things, you know, I was born. 
And so, at any rate, uh, he said that, that that makes a great novel, but it does nothing for inventory. So I did my inventory, and he looked me straight in the eye, and he said, Polly, you are a child abuser. He did not say, Polly, you have harmed your children. He did not say any of that. He said, Polly, you are a child abuser, and you need to go and make amends to those boys. And what I got to learn is, is what I had done to my children. I got to do that inventory, and I got to see where I had a child who was a musician and another son who was an athlete. And I would say, I'll be at your concert, I'll be at your game, I'll be there, I promise. But I'd end up taking a drink of alcohol, and then I'd pass out on the sofa. And, that, and here would, I would come to, and that little face was down at the end of the sofa and saying, Mom, you promised. And with all the rage of an alcoholic, I would scream, can't you see I'm sick? If I weren't sick, what do you care about anybody but yourself? I would show up at your, at your game. I physically abused my children. I pulled my son's hair. I did physical abuse. The only thing I didn't do is sexually abuse my children. And these boys, because of a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, I have a relationship today with my sons that is absolutely fabulous. There is a wonderful, huge word in this program. And there's a, because it is, it, this is a spiritual program. And forgiveness is divine. And if we do these steps, and if we show up, and if we do what we're told to do in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, we can get the divine gift of forgiveness. And I have had the gift of forgiveness. And uh, I, have, I have a son who's uh, 29 years sober in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. He and I grew up in the program together. He's just six years behind me. And uh, he talks about, you know, I get to hear him talk from podiums. And he talks about being 10 years old. And he gets up one morning. I can no longer put my kids to bed, and I can no longer get them up in the morning. They have to set alarm clocks and get themselves up to go to school because I am incapable of getting them up. And what happens is, is he gets up that morning and his mother's passed out on the floor and she's got a drink spilled. And here is the reality. Here's what happens in the life of a child that has been traumatized by a disease called alcoholism. He sees me, steps over me, gets his bowl, gets his cereal, gets his milk, steps back over me, sits down, eats his breakfast, and feels nothing. That's the disease of alcoholism. That is the numbness of which this disease takes our children to. I am so grateful that that, that that sponsor looked at me and said, go make amends to those boys. And I went and I, I did. I didn't know if I could do that. And what he kept telling me is he said, pray the serenity prayer and say the courage to change the things I can ten times and then go on to the wisdom to know the difference because you need the courage to go to those boys and tell them the truth. Well, when I went that day, believe me, my sons were 14 and 16 years old and they were angry. And I didn't get to say, I hurt you. I had to say, I am so sorry that I have abused you. A parent, that is not what parents do to children, but that's what has happened to you. And uh, when I asked them if they had anything to say to me, they had plenty to say to me that day. But he had, I had done my amends on a little three-by-five card because a lot of times if you're doing something really emotional, it's really nice if you have it written out. And uh, what I was, when they told me that, I was, not gonna, I was not to say things like, you shouldn't feel that way. 
uh, you know, I'm sober today. All I was told I was to say is, I'm sorry that happened to you, and I will spend the rest of my life being the very best mom I can be. And uh, to kind of fast forward to today, one of the things that happens is, is one of my, my oldest son has been divorced a little over two years, and my youngest son is in the midst of it. And about three or four years ago, I'd stand up behind this podium and I'd talk to you about my wonderful family, my five grandchildren, all of this stuff. Everything was just so wonderful. And uh, my friend Bob D says, now, Polly, your story is normal. <laughs> so <laughs> at any rate, you know, now it's not like that today. It's, uh, it's everybody split. I have a son in California. His children are living in Michigan. My, my youngest son is in Chicago. And I mean, and he's there around his kids. But it's none of it's the same. It's heartbreaking. It's none of it's the same. It's, it's not like it used to be. None of it's the same. I don't, I don't get to have the same relationship with the grandkids. They're going to get, you know, move them around all over the place. It's not like, but you know what? I still have that relationship. I still have those relationships. And today, I, because of the work I did back then, and we've continued to do that. When my son made amends to me, we did some amends making. And then we've made some more amends through the, through the years. But what I want to say right now is, is that my sons never did get along, my two kids. And uh, because of what's happened to James and Russ had already been through a divorce, it's amazing how my sons, all these years later, they're 50 and 52 years old, have finally found something to identify with, something that they, you know, that they can talk about, and an experience they share. So it's, it's just, it's, you know, you never know how God's going to work. You never, ever know how God's going to work it out. And, uh, and my youngest son, who is the one who's going through a divorce today, and he's the son, he was the feisty one. So he was the one that I abused the most. And I'm here to tell you that he calls me every day. And that's the forgiveness that I've been given in rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And one of the things that I think says it all about AA is that uh, my son came to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous when he was 21 years old. And the reason he says is, is he said, I saw the transformation in my mother, so I knew AA worked. And that's what we do here. We transform. The book says we're reborn. We're not the same as we were when we came in. I am not the same woman. I am a different woman today. I know she's there. All I have to do is take a drink of alcohol, and she's there. But I'm not that same woman today. I am a person today who cares about other people, and I think that's a gift, especially for somebody who's selfish and self-centered, because I'm a real alcoholic. And I tell you, that, but what has been given me is the gift of service, being able to work with other women, being able to share my experience, strength, and hope. That's been the gift of sobriety. Um, I don't have a really uh, great drunkologue. Uh, I would have, you know, I, I didn't have any affairs while I was drinking and all that. I did all of that sober in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> <coughs> so, I, you know, I don't have any of that. I don't have any of that going on. Um, but what happened is, is that I ended up going to treatment three times, and I entered a treatment center. I'd had a wreck in Irving, Texas. And I entered a treatment center, and it was a seven-day detox. And this was no fancy jitter joint. 
and I went to this treatment center and uh, this detox center and they started taking us to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous and I fell in love with this fellowship. I absolutely fell in love. I loved the program. I loved, I don't know if I knew the program, I didn't know what the program really was, but I loved the fellowship. And uh, this is a fellowship, this is a program of attraction, okay? That means how we act. Somebody's not going to walk through that door and say, oh, that's the answer. That's not going to be it. That's, in fact, they, you know, somebody may say, like, I've just landed in some holy roly place or something. But what happens is it's the fellowship. That's the attraction. And today I want to be an attraction to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I want to, you know, walk in that door and let us light your fire. That's what we want to do. Get you on, you know, wanting to live life to its, high, to its finest and highest. And we can do that if we work these steps. If we work these steps and practice these principles in all our affairs. Not just in here. All out there. Even when people give you the finger and run you off the road. Smile and bless them. You know, those are the kind of things that we do. This is what we learn to do in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I fell in love with the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. But Dr. Tebold says, in AA Comes of Age, I love that letter that Dr. Tebold has in AA Comes of Age. And he talks in there and he says about the alcoholic. He is a little more outspoken than Dr. Silkworth, Dr. Silkworth was. And he says that the, every alcoholic has two characteristics grandiosity and defiant individuality. You ever see anybody come in, oh, but I work, oh, but I have kids, oh, but I do. There's always an excuse of why we can't do, you know, why we can't, you know, do what we need to do in order to stay sober. And uh, my husband says only an alcoholic can lay in the gutter feeling superior to those looking down on him. But that's, you know, that's us. I mean, there we are. We, the arrogance of the alcoholic. The arrogance. And uh, while I was in that treatment center, I had a jitter house romance. You know, where sick falls in love with sick and you walk off into happy destiny. And uh, we stayed sober for 58 days. And I was 12-stepped and brought back into that uh, detox center. And I'd been beaten up and numerous and sundry other things. And I'd reached that place in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that talks about pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And I knew what the problem was. The problem was sobriety. Again, I always go back to Clancy because nobody talks about it better than him. You know, he says, you know, let me tell you what my life is sober without AA. And I just, that night, that day I sat there and I thought, there is no way I can live sober inside my own skin. Sober, I know what kind of mother I am. I can't live with that. I am so guilt-ridden that I can hardly stand it. I am so eaten up with what I have done to my children, and with good reason. I mean, that was not without good reason that I was eaten up about how I had done that, how I had screamed and yelled at my mother, had no respect for her, all the things that I had done. What I had done to my, here I had just had a 58-day affair with a guy in AA. My husband had just been 100% disabled from the Air Force. I mean, what a lovely woman I am. You know, all of this stuff, and I just can't live with myself. And what happened for me is I just did that seven days. And when that seven days was up, I got a bottle of Valium and I got a bottle of Scotch and I checked into a motel. And I can tell you right now, I don't believe that there's anybody in this room that doesn't have an angel in your life, someone who leads us to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. 
and I had such a woman in my life, and she led me. She had no idea. She didn't know anything about AA, but she said that day something came over her. And what happened was that today I know that that something was God working in my life through her. And she drove around until she found my car parked outside this motel. And I had just shut the door. It wasn't latched. And she pushed it open. And she found me laying there. And on April the 8th of 1977, I was pronounced dead on arrival in a hospital in Bedford, Texas. And by God's grace in this program, I'm sober today. And it is truly by grace because sobriety is a gift unearned. I am a woman who drinks no matter what. I drink no matter what. I drink when my kids are accepting an award. I drink when my kids are having any kind of wonderful day. I'm the person who's going to put a damper and ruin it for them. I drink no matter what. And I come into the rooms of these rooms, and what has happened for me is that has happened to so many alcoholics is that desire to drink has been totally and completely lifted from me. But the thing that I'm really clear on is what the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says. And it says that I only get a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. And if I gotta maintain something, that tells me I gotta take some action. And what I do is I do today, I'm a really back to basics kind of gal. I'm not really uh, into too much psychobabble or anything like that. I'm just kind of a back to basics kind of girl. I do today the pretty much the same thing I did when I first came into AA. I just do it a little longer and a little better. That's all. I'm just, I still am the big book. Most everything I do is the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I've been given a life beyond my greatest expectation. When I was three and a half years sober, I married my best friend. And I didn't know I was going to marry him. I was having all kinds of affairs in AA. You see, I was so, my self-worth was so low that I just knew if you'd love me enough, I'd be okay. I had no idea that it was an inside job. And Dave knew all about that. In fact, he sponsored a lot of those guys, and he knew more about me than he needed to. And uh, when I was three and a half years sober and he was four and a half years sober, he asked me to marry him, and he says, Polly, and the, the way he asked me is he said, Polly, I'm in love with you. He says, but you need to get something straight. I don't want to have an affair with you. I want to marry you. And, you know, things like that aren't supposed to happen to people like me. And uh, I believe that it's that unconditional love that I've received from Dave that, uh, that started me on a path to healing that has, been, has just been absolutely amazing. And... Uh, Dave and I wanted to be, we wanted to get married, and we wanted to stay married. I'd been married for 22 years, so I hang in there. And uh, I'm Dave's fourth wife. And as one of our Al-Anon friends like to tell Dave, you're the only common denominator in all four of those marriages. So, you know, it's like Dave and I know how to take a hostage. We just didn't know how to have a relationship. And uh, we wanted to be married, and we wanted to stay married. And we started going to ask people who knew how to be married how to be married. And uh, what happened was is my AA sponsor had left the, priest, the priesthood and he had married an Asian woman. And, uh, and I wanted what he had because he was happy and, he was, and I loved it. And uh, I, met, I ended up going to Al-Anon when I was six years sober and my Al-Anon sponsor, I had met her many, many times and we'd go to, uh, we'd go to these things in Texas were called woman to woman but they were AA and Al-Anon. And every time you were around Sally, she would open her suitcase, and I'd see this newly sober, and she'd have all these love notes in there. And the other thing I wanted is I wanted romance in my, in my life. 
And, uh, and there was romance in Sally and Albert's life until the day Albert died. And it was just, you know, and that's what I wanted. And they said, there's some magic words that you say. And uh, if you want a good marriage, and that's, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I love you. And the big news is, you don't even have to be the one who's wrong. You just have to say you're sorry. Somebody's got to say it first. That's all there is to it. And uh, Frank Honeycutt, who's a man, was down in Long Beach, the finest man I ever knew. And Frank Honeycutt used to always say, what do you want to be? You want to be right or you want to be happy? You know, and it's just sometimes those two don't go together. Sometimes I need to humble myself and, you know, and just, you know, it's okay. You know, because I'm, I'm guaranteed sorry for the situation we're in. I don't want our marriage feeling like this. I don't like that ick that gets in there sometimes. That just doesn't feel good. And I don't want that. And the other is we met this couple down in Omaha, Dick and Peggy, and they said, we'll take you through the traditions. And Dave and I went through the traditions, and we practiced the traditions in our relationship. And uh, Dave and I were married uh, October the 27th. We were married 32 years. And that's two alcoholics hooked up together. And we've been married for 33 years. And I tell you what the good news is. The good news is, is he's still the man that makes my heart skip a beat when I see him come through that door. I still feel that way. And it's like I'm so grateful. I feel so grateful that he and I get to spend these years. I never dreamed I'd live this long, much less be able to spend these years together. And, you know, he loves AA like I love AA. He's a different kind of guy. He's a kind of a quiet guy and doesn't say too much. And especially if Dick and Barbara and Dave and I are in the same car, per Barbara and Dave are never going to get a word in there. Like, so they never get to talk. So it's just, he's just a quiet kind of guy. And he just, he's one of these kind of guys that just says, you know, Polly, you go be the best Polly you can be. And uh, Dave gets to go be the best Dave he can be. And, and we've allowed that. We've, let, we've had that kind of a relationship that... We've just let each other be who they are, and it's been absolutely amazing. When I was uh, six and a half years sober, my youngest son came to me and he said, Mom, I want what you have. And six and a half years before, I was supposed to attend a function at his school. And he says, don't you dare show up at my school because I'm ashamed of you. And six and a half years later, he wanted what I have. And my son James, on the 3rd of January, celebrated 29 years clean and sober in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous on page 164 talks about great events that will come to pass. There are so many great events. Our son Michael died when he was nine years sober. He was clean and sober for nine years. And uh, my son Russ, is uh, he came three years ago. He got clean and sober from alcohol. He doesn't do AA, but he has a different kind of a spiritual walk. And today I've learned to accept that because you keep telling me it's just a spiritual awakening. And I have to remember that, that maybe everybody doesn't have to do it my way. So that's, that, that's learning as the older you get. And uh, the greatest news of all is uh, our daughter Kim. She... Uh, she has been doing all the things for a long time that women do to support this disease. And, uh, and Kim, we haven't seen her for 15 years. And uh, Dave saw her a week before, before last. And uh, she's living in Texas, and she's sober. And he walked in, and he had lunch with her, and she jumped up, and she said, Hi, Dad. 
So, you know, she's here. So it, it just, sometimes it just couldn't get any better than that. We have five grandchildren, and um, I love being a grandma. I'm a roller coaster riding grandma. <laughs> and I just told you that my, our oldest grandson is deaf. And I tell you, 20 years ago, when they said in 1993, and they said that he was deaf, I just, you know, it was just all I could, I just couldn't stand it. I just thought this, you know, of all the, I mean, I was in AA. I'd had, you know, I'd had some sobriety, and I'd sponsoring people, and they have babies, and they didn't even want their babies. And here we wanted our baby so bad, and he was born deaf. And I just couldn't understand, you know, God, look at all we do in AA for you. Everybody's sober. James and Kelly are sober. Dave and I are sober, and our grandson's born deaf. But, you know, here we are. Clancy talks about alcoholism, a disease of perception. And the perception was I didn't even understand about death. I didn't even understand what that was. And I'd just like for you to know that my grandson, Ryan, is a sophomore at Rochester Institute of Technology, and he's a B student. And because of parents who were relieved of the bondage of self, and it never was too much, that he is he's a B student, and he's handicapped in no way. He's in Puerto Rico having fun. And he told us, he texts us, because everything's by text when you're working with deaf or sign language, and what happened was he says, we're sleeping on the beach in tents and sleeping in our rented car so we can save money. And I mean, it's like, wow, they're having so much fun. And, uh, and I have, we have Chris and Maddie and Jesse and Katie, and about a few years ago I was talking to a sponsee on the phone, and, uh, they, and Katie heard me talking, and she says, Grandma, when I grow up I'm going to be just like you because you help people. And I want to do that too. The other gift is, is that I'm a woman who suffers depression. And I am a Bill Wilson. I used to pick up everything I could find on Bill Wilson and read about it because I had such severe depression. And, uh, and Bill just finally started talking about getting rid of faulty dependencies and going out and helping somebody. And uh, I get to have the privilege of sponsoring women. I have no clue what I do for them. I have absolutely no clue what I do for them. But I know that if they didn't call me and allow me to work in their lives, I would not have any sense of usefulness. And because of that, today I have a sense of usefulness. God is so good to me, and I've truly been given the keys to the kingdom. Thank you.